0: Today's scripture comes from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Really enjoyed worship this far. It's music, and so grateful for those of you who are who are tuning in by internet. I, I invite you as you open the book of John that we are starting a new series on the Gospel of John, and in that new series, Logan and I are hoping that as we read together and study this particular gospel, we will grow deeper in our understanding of why it is that we believe in Jesus, but more importantly that we would come to understand that, that to believe in Christ is not just to believe that he existed or lived long ago, but that he lives today. He's in this room with us this morning. He's with you when you wake up. He is with you when you eat lunch. And when you lay your head on your pillow and even in the evening when you're hours and you are dreaming dreams and snoring loudly, he is in your presence, or maybe I should say you are in his if you've come to believe in Jesus Christ, that word believe means literally to put your faith in him. So when you read the Gospel of John and you say that, uh, that you may believe in Jesus, it is to put your faith in him. And so in light of that, I, I want to just invite you this morning as we begin, uh, let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Our Father, as we come into your presence seeking the wisdom of your word, we pray that we would understand that the gospels are given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we might believe, that we may believe in him. There may be someone in my, my sound of voice, someone within the sound of my voice who is a, who's struggling with putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we lift those individuals, whoever you might be, we lift you before the throne of Jesus Christ, meaning we, we call upon the God of heaven and earth to do what only God can do in illuminating his word in your life that you might understand and know the living Christ. And we pray for each of us who already have placed our faith in his work of the cross that this word the gospel itself would have such effect in our lives that we would live each day in the presence and in the mindful reality that we belong in life and in death to the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord and that we are constantly people who are needing to be changed in our affections, our behaviors, and our desires, in order that we may, may be conformed, that we may become more like Jesus. And for that reason, bless this study and this year. We ask and we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. And the people of God sit together, amen. Amen. I was talking with someone yesterday who was... Uh, expressing to me of a photographer who makes his living in the, uh, in the lowlands of Florida. What do you call those places, the lowlands, the Everglades? And so this particular photographer has gone and made his living by going with waders into the waters of those Everglades and he films or takes photographs with, uh, with what we would call ancient kind of camera technology. And he takes those uh, pictures and blows them up into large, and I think you said eight feet and ten feet, beautiful pictures that are, that are able to be put on your wall. Now, if you're looking to fill a space, I imagine that's one way to do it, is to get an eight-foot eight foot picture. But uh, he was telling me also that, that one of the things that's happened with this particular gift this man offers is that many museums are going and buying his pictures because they are so realistic. It's almost as if as you stand before this picture, you are no longer feeling like you are standing outside of a picture, but you have entered the very essence of the Everglades. It's that large. It's that precise. It's that clear in its transition from the reality of life, to a wall that's basically a picture hung there. And so as people gaze at this particular photograph, they begin to feel as if they are there. Well, that's kind of how John is writing his gospel for you who want to know who Christ is. He doesn't want you to look at the Bible in the sense of something somewhere distant from you. He wants you to enter into the narrative of the story and begin to experience Christ and who he is and what he offers us as the Lord and Savior of our life. And that's why as you look at the passage we read this morning, he says that, that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So John immediately allows us to understand that, that what he's going to give us as a, a picture, so to speak, of Jesus is not just for us to enjoy and sit back and to, to kind of think, well, that's nice, and then walk away. It's to be engaged with, but he wants us also to understand it's not the whole story. There were many other things that Jesus did. Which begins to help us understand why then there are four Gospels in the New Testament. Did you know that, by the way? There really are four Gospels. I'm surprised that sometimes we forget that there are different ways in the 66 books of the Bible that, that God has chosen to express his words. There's poetry, there's narrative. Uh, and, and when you begin to open the Bible in its richness, you begin to realize that these four Gospels uh, are something unique in the literature of humanity. Now, what do I mean by that? We, well, you we first have to understand what is a Gospel? When we say the gospel of John, the gospel of Mark, what is that? Well, that word gospel comes from the Greek word meaning good news. I don't know about you, but I could use some good news these days. Couldn't you? And so it's good news of the salvation that is through Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. And so by that sheer name, the good news, the gospel, it is, a, it is an indication that these four Books of the New Testament are a kind of literature you will not find anywhere else in the world. It's narrative, but it's, it's more than narrative. It may include poetry, but it's more than poetry. You see, we call that what is called genre or a way of writing, a way of expression. This gospel is unlike any other production of literature that has ever been given or written by men. And so when John begins to talk about this Jesus, he wants us to understand something particular, and that is, first of all, it is a good news, and it's the good news of Jesus Christ. And so because it's a unique literary genre, because it's written in a way that is unlike any other, as you and I approach it, we must begin to ask ourselves, then how do we approach it? Because there are many people who read this gospel and they read it without the eyes of faith. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, they're not putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have not trusted in what Christ did on the cross for them. So for them, as they come to this book, it is simply an historical document that speaks of Jesus' life. John says, no, 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 no. This is much different than that. This is not just an historical document account of the life of Jesus this is the gospel the good news of salvation that is through Jesus Christ and so there have been many people many people who have come into reading this book who have gathered it and sucked in its knowledge and absorbed its principles and they have in the beginning come without faith in Christ but they leave it believing in him isn't that interesting and so the, the importance of this is so powerful because as we approach this book, as we approach it, as believers, we are to be reminded that we approach it with the grace of the Holy Spirit, that God the Holy Spirit leads us in reading and reflecting upon it so that its words transcend a historical biography of Jesus. They begin to help us engage with the person of Jesus, the person of Of Jesus Christ. Now I don't know about you, but um, I, I don't know Joe Biden. I've never met him. I've never talked with him. But I imagine if one day I came and shook his hand and got a conversation with him, when I would talk about, well, I know Joe Biden, I could actually say I know something more than just something of his history, his past or his politics. I could say I have come to know or touch personality. I have come to know a person. Well, that's what John is trying to do for you. He's trying to help you understand that this book has been written for you to know the person. Not the image of some person that someone's made, but the person of Jesus Christ. Well, why is this important? Well, the Bible gives us four different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three we call synoptic Gospels, meaning that they are put together in a form that is similar to one another. And so as you would read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you might find that they seem to flow basically kind of the same way. But the Gospel of John is different from them. It's not the same type of literature. It's still a Gospel, but its structure is set up in a way that is markedly, readably different. Because John is going to be writing to us in a narrative form. He wants you to engage the person of Christ in in a narration of who Jesus is. And so, in light of that, you'll find that John will leave out some material that is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And when you first look at that, you think, well, wait a minute, does that mean that John is not being accurate? And the course of the answer is no, he's very accurate. But you remember what we read this morning. He said Jesus did many other things. And if we were to include all the things that Jesus ever did, said, or or expressed in any form or manner, no book would be able to contain all that we witnessed when we were with him. I mean, let's face it. How many of you are looking forward to reading a 700-page novel? Unless it's a really good novel. And so when you think about this gospel, John, he's not going to be talking about some things that you may find interesting. Well, why didn't he include them? Well, his purpose isn't that you believe that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, not that we have a record of everything that Jesus did. Well, what kind of material does John leave out? Well, John never talks about the parables in a narrative form from Jesus. Some of the parables of the kingdom, John doesn't mention those. They're vitally important to understand what it means to believe in Christ and walk with him. But in John's writing, his, his inclusion of the parables is not there. He never mentions the transfiguration. Where John and Peter and James are with Jesus on the top of the mountain. And suddenly Jesus is transformed in their, his appearance before them. And the father comes and says, this is my son. And Remember? John doesn't include that story. He he was there, but yet he chose not to include that in his gospel. There's other things too, like the institution of the Lord's Supper. He never talks about what happened in in that evening at the table, except for very small details. He doesn't include what the others talk about. He never mentions that Jesus casts out demons or that Jesus faced temptations in the desert. Or that he really never deals with central themes that Matthew, Mark, and Luke deal with, which deal with the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus would say the kingdom of God is like this or the kingdom of heaven is like that, John doesn't really dig into those like the other gospels do. You say, well, well why in the world should we study this then? Because John does mention some things that is not included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He tells us things that we would not know about Jesus if we did not have this gospel. Well, what would they be? Well, interestingly enough, you find that John records for us uh, Jesus' miraculous transformation of water into wine. Now, uh, forgive me if I tell you this and you think badly of me, but I really do like wine. And, and I don't drink a lot of it. I'm not a, I'm not a teetotaler and I'm not a, a bootlegger. So some of you uh, probably are thinking higher of me now and some of you are thinking pretty badly of me. But, but when you get a good wine, there's nothing like a good wine, right? And so as you think about turning water into wine, you think, well, man, Lord, I can't wait to be at the banquet table of heaven because there's going to be the best wine you've ever had there. But the story of the wine is really John's first sign. He says there are seven signs he's going to give us that are to indicate why it is we should place our faith in Jesus Christ. And the first miracle, the first sign, is how he turned water into wine. And you think, well, what's the deal about that? Well, you you have to come back maybe a couple of Sundays from now and find out saying what we're going to go be we're going to be going through the gospel that's only one of seven signs that John gives us and we're going to understand the depth of that in such power that you're going to begin to think oh I I see now I see why Jesus turned water into wine it seems so superfluous but now I, I understand what it was he was telling us the second thing you'll find that John includes is he, he includes in chapter 3 the story of Nicodemus coming. Remember Nicodemus? He was a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders of the day, a man of great prestige and power in his own time, a man who was looked up to by entire nations as one of the teachers of the law of God. And this man who should know God and walk with God in his daily daily uh, activities is suddenly at night when no one's around sneaking out to be with Jesus. And in that visit with Jesus, this religious, religious man begins to hear Jesus tell him things that he doesn't understand. You must be born from above. And Nicodemus says, how in the world is that possible? And John unfolds that story for us. The the next thing that you'll find is that that John includes the story of Jesus' ministry in Samaria. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about the geography of that time, uh, Samaria is a place where basically people were half Jew and half Gentile. Or there was a mix of people in such ways that the racial component of that day was so volatile and so hated from one to the other, that if you lived in Samaria, you were basically a, a second-class citizen. You, you were someone who was, well, rather inferior because you didn't live on the right side of tracks. If you were a good Jew, if you were pure and held to the codes of Moses, you probably lived closer to Jerusalem and Judea. And so you'll hear stories of a Samaritan woman who was at the well. And you you find out things about Jesus that just astonish you, that he didn't come just for those who were Jews, pure Jews. He came for those who were, who were not only those who were the lost tribe of Israel, he came for those who were Samaritans, that they too might believe in him. Which gives great hope, doesn't it? Great hope that Jesus didn't come for just a select few people who passed certain criteria and were good enough. He came to reach those who were lost in their sins. And so the most amazing thing as you begin to think through this is that Jesus came to reach people like you. I don't know if you've thought about that. But if you have not come to Christ, you are still in your sin and what you were born into and what we all were born into is a state where we are selfish, we are egotistical, we are incredibly cruel, cruel. And vicious to one another. We can write things to each other in emails that we would never say to someone imperfect. We can drive on the road and condemn people for things that we normally do ourselves, but justify. Do you hear me? Have I dug deep enough for this? Does that hurt enough? You see what what the. Real power of the gospel reveals is not that Jesus came to die for good people. He came to die for some wicked, evil people like us. And there is no sin, no sin that God cannot forgive and cleanse you from. But you and I know that even as believers in Christ, we wrestle with this power of sin that leads us down paths, not of righteousness, but of wickedness. And John says, I've written this gospel for you because you need Christ. You need the power of Christ to live a transformed, different way from the way you used to live, where everything was about you, and now everything is about Jesus. It's a beautiful story. I look forward to what God is going to teach me through it. The the other thing that John includes in this is that he actually talks about the resurrection of of a, a man named Lazarus. Now, I want you to know in reading that story I'm a little bummed because can you imagine having to die once? I think about Maxwell in the hospital now being close to death and how painful that is. Well, Lazarus was dead. And Jesus raised him from the tomb. He comes out of the tomb, is reunited with his family. But you know the sad part of that story? It's not told by John. Lazarus had to face death again. But you know the glory of that? The second time he faced death, he knew the Lord. He knew the Lord. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Have a fear of death? It's fearful. But we have a God who's overcome it for you. John includes frequent visits to Jerusalem. Some people who look at the Bible and they're looking for mistakes, they're looking for reasons not to believe in Jesus, will say, well, the Bible contradicts itself. The Bible is constantly in error. It's not accurate. It's not complete. It has some diminishment to it. And when you look at the Gospels, particularly in the story of Jesus turning over the tables of the money changers, you will find that John records that story much earlier in his Gospel than the other three. And so some people have, to their error, some people have come to the conclusion that John is not historically accurate because he records that Jesus entered the, the, uh, entered the, the, uh, the city of Jerusalem and into the temple, turned over the money changers' tables when Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John say it only happened during the week that he was being delivered up to be crucified. Well, John actually reveals to us that Jesus entered Jerusalem many times. And in those times that he visited Jerusalem, he did many things like that because he came with the message that those who were honoring God with their lips weren't honoring God with their heart. And he would challenge those people. He would call the Pharisees, you bunch of vipers. You brood of vipers, you wicked people. (laughs) Does that sound like someone who is a piece of milk toast? Who's a pushover? No. No, it reveals a very strong man, a very clear, directed person who, who had a message that confronted people in their sins. And then you come to maybe a place in John where you will see that he talks about. Uh, about activities where Jesus was in the temple and in the synagogue and what he would teach during those times would be so illuminating for the Jews. You see, the Jews really thought they knew God. They really thought that because they were descended from Abraham, they were in with God with such measure that they had a ticket to ride God's train of holiness all the way to heaven. And Jesus would come in and he would Begin to teach things that showed them no, no, I am far from the heart of God. Nicodemus, by the way, was one of those, and it transformed his life. Well, why is this so important for us today? Well, the Gospel of John is a gospel that you and I must read if we're serious about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It, interestingly enough, is probably the earliest gospel of the four that were written. When people who study the texts and the manuscripts and they try to look at church history and put where these gospels were written and by who, we, we have an idea that it was probably written sometime between 85 and 95, which was during a time of great persecution for the church by the Roman government. Uh, The the Jews had basically convinced the Roman government that the Christians were were an aberrant belief system and needed to be persecuted. And so there were many who were fed to lions and burned at the stakes and sawn in two. And so that was the beginning of that time of persecution, which was incredibly immense. And so John is writing to a people who, who are facing those kind of harsh persecutions. It's not only the earliest of the Gospels, it's probably the last to be written. Well, what do I mean by that? It's the last to be written in the sense that it is, a, it is a gospel that probably came as early as that year, but of the gospels, it's probably the one that came after the other three. And that's only a guess. By the way, can you tell me what a theory is and a fact? Can you all know the difference? A fact is something you can show with evidence and it's proven to be factual. Well... When you deal with people who discuss about how we got the Bible or whether John wrote this or didn't or whether Jesus said this or didn't, it's always theory. And so there are theories of how we got the Bible. There are theories of how we collected the New Testament, but they are only theories because no one was there. We can only surmise this from historical evidence about how the Gospels were written. And then finally, as we look at this this morning and we think about approaching this gospel, John is the one whom Jesus loved. That's all he says about himself. You'll never find in the gospels John saying, this was me, John. He never uses his name for himself. He uses a word that really is is quite humbling because it's almost like he is amazed that Jesus would love him And so whenever it refers to him in the gospel as being with Jesus or seeing something or as a witness of what Christ was was doing, he would say the one whom Jesus loved. And so we know that to be John, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, one of the two sons of thunder. Get this, sons of thunder. Now, if this isn't an anachronism, nothing is. These two men were zealots before they came to know Christ. They believed the way that you changed the world was by raising up a military armament and changing people through force. You get a gun... And you say, live this way or we shoot you. That's what a zealot was about. He was so zealous for the Lord and the Lord's kingdom to be returned, he believed that military might was the way in which it was accomplished. Jesus took these two men, John and James, and by the time God is finished with them in transforming their life, John is known as the apostle of love. Because when you open his first letter in the New Testament, John 1, 2, 3, and then Jude and Revelation, you open that first letter, he says, Brothers, if you say you love your brother, I mean, if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're lying. You hear that? If you say you love God and you hate your sister, you're lying. For love is of God. And you kind of go, wow. And it, must, it, it makes you take a step back, doesn't it? Because if I'm truly a disciple of Christ, I am called to obey the Lord. And the Lord's leading is always a leading to love those who hate me, to bless those who persecute me, and to fellowship with those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus prayed for the church. He said, Father, I pray that the church would be united just as you and I are united. And let me ask you, are you not united as a church? Or do you let petty divisions separate you from each other? Do you let the color of your skin, the background of your, your life, do you let anything separate you from your brother or sister in Christ? Then you don't love God. How could God take a man who was a zealot and produce a man who could live that kind of way? It would have to be the person of Jesus. The power of Christ in him. This is why we need to read the gospel. This is exactly why I need the gospel of John. Here's another thing that leave as why you should read it. First he says that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. I talk to people all the time. I really do. Uh, I talk to people all the time who, who tell me, well, I believe in Jesus. And I say, that's great. But I'm always curious, what does that mean? What do you mean you believe in Jesus? Um, This past weekend, we were out with some friends at a a restaurant, and the waitress came up, and and I'm really trying to make it a habit of getting to know the people who wait on me in restaurants, not just because I want them to give me good service, which I do, but I really want to know who they are. And this young lady came up, and this is kind of heart-wrenching for me. This young lady came up, and she was waiting on us. And I said to her very teasingly, I said, Now, I just want to prepare you. We're a rough crowd, so we're going we're gonna to really test you with your patience tonight. And she sort of looked at me like, Uh-oh. And so we sat down, and we were we were beginning to talk, and so forth. And she she uh, looked at me, and I said uh, I said, "What is your name?" And she gave us me she gave us her name, and she said, uh, she said, "Well, can I start helping you with taking your order?" And I said, "Yes, you can." And and we started laughing and making jokes and talking. And then through the evening, as the convo- conversation progressed, I said something about her husband and she said well I'm not married to a man I am married and all four of us kinda stopped for a minute and I thought wow and without batting an eye we leaned into her and loved her all the more and said well tell us more of what you're what you're about and and she suddenly said You guys are really different. And she finally found out we we were a pastor family. And she said, You know, you're not like other people I've talked to. And I thought to myself, Wow, I better be careful. And as we talked more, she began to divulge that her grandmother had passed away and the funeral was Saturday and it was a Friday night you could tell she was hurting the friend we were with said can we just pray for you and in the middle of the restaurant she got down on her knees said yes we asked God to bless her with the knowledge of how much he loved her and that she would sense his presence as she went to that funeral and that ultimately she would come to the knowing the, the freedom that God's love is for her. She got up from the table and she said, you know, I've had a really hard life. I've been in prison in fact. That's where I met my partner. And she went on to describe some other things that I just thought. Who am I to judge? As she went about her business, we began to talk among each other and pray. And as we talked, I looked at the others who were with me and one said you know she is so open to the gospel and I thought to myself I thought where could she go to find Jesus could she come to your house could she John writes and he says, I write these things that you may put your faith in Jesus Christ. Why do I need Christ? Because I'm a sinner, separated from God. And my only hope is Christ. My only hope. Only hope I have. In the days that John wrote this gospel, there were not typewriters or computers. There were not sheets of paper as we understand them today. They were skins of animals they wrote on. And it was expensive to write anything. Because not only did you have to have parchments that were treated to be able to be written on, you also had to get the ink, which was always hard to produce. And so somehow, in some measure, God moved John to record this message of Jesus for you that he or someone paid a great expense so that the words you have before you are yours, that you may believe in Jesus. And then the other part of that is that you may believe that Jesus is the one who gives life. So when I ask people, do you believe in Jesus? And they answer, well, yes, I believe in Jesus. And they're not living a life close to God. John is going to address that kind of life. as not a life hidden in Christ. The real life that Jesus gives is a life that is transformed by the presence of a person. And I think of what the Gospels record when Thomas was being questioned by Jesus, Lord, to where are, we, where are you going? We don't know the way. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, if you just show us the Father Jesus, then we'll believe. And Jesus said Have I not been with you this long that you do not understand? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And then he says, Blessed are those who never see Jesus with their eyes, but believe in him. And that's you. Did you know that? That's you and John says you need this gospel so that you are transformed in the way you live your life and the only one who can transform it is Jesus you got an anger problem the only person that can transform it is Jesus you got a love deficit problem The only one who's going to transform it is Jesus. And John's going to help you see the big picture of why you need him. Let's pray together. Father, as we we begin this study, I, I, I pray for Logan and myself that you would help us to deliver your word accurately and clearly. Because when John says that, uh, that he has written these things that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, there's been textual differences. Is John saying that he's written these things so that we who believe may continue to believe? Or is he saying that we may believe definitively as in making a claim? And I'm so grateful Father, for those commentators who have helped me see that John says both of those things in his gospel, that this gospel has written for we who already believe that we may continue to believe, but also for those who have yet to believe and have the awareness, the revelation of their need of Jesus Christ and invite them in their own hearts, the Lord to come and wash them of their sins, to repent of their belief that somehow they're good enough to go before God without Christ, and that by receiving him and beginning to become his disciple, that Jesus will transform them and give them life that is abundant. There's not one person here that doesn't want it abundant life and so our prayer is god bless the preaching and teaching of your word that we may walk in the abundance of jesus christ and the world may know him by how we forgive one another by how we love one another by how we are unashamed of that name jesus To the glory and power of God, we pray. And the people of God said together, Amen.